Welcome to Mutuality Matters, Gender Theology for the Gospel Empowerment of Men and Women. I'm Blake Dean, here with my co-host, the Reverend Aaron Monez, and today we are excited to host pastor, professor, and practitioner, Nicole Foster. Reverend Nicole Foster is an educator from Dallas, Texas. She works at a high school for at-risk teens and founded Lady Life, a mentoring program for young women in her school. She also travels as a professor of Old Testament through Richmond Bible Institute and is currently the founder and minister of Hippie Theologian, an online community of public theology giving voice to the theological issues that concern society at large. She has her bachelor's in history from Southern Methodist University and her master's of divinity from Redeemer Seminary. She is currently a doctoral candidate at Trinity School for Ministry, where she studies the theological culture of online religious forums such as Hippie Theologian. And we should also note that she is a good pal of Aaron's. Yes. I I noted at the end of the recording that I felt like I was crashing a coffee date. So we'd like to invite you <laughs> to crash this coffee date as well. Yes, I, I can't deny it. Nicole is, is a buddy of mine. We met through our doctoral program and I love her, guys. She is so smart and so insightful and so sassy. She's guys, so it funny. is it's going to get real. Yes, we laugh so much in this podcast. Um, and and what are you listening for in this podcast? Well, guys, I got to be honest, this one, this one is a big one, because um, we touch on uh, singleness, we touch on church leadership, we touch on race, we touch on gender, we touch on marriage. Um, yes, um, any number of, uh, of possible um, threads that feed into these subjects. Nicole helps us through that. And the point of that is, and, and why we place her in this part of the, uh, the sort of timeline of season two, is because just like the way Sandra Van Opsel helps us think about aspects of race um, so that we don't only whitewash our gender theology, Cole helps us do that with so many of the topics that mm-hmm. you've just been listening to in the previous episodes. And it's so great because she brings up all these insights and things that I had not thought of. She talks about dissimilarities and similarities uh, related to different cultures and this intersectionality of uh, these topics for for white people, for people of color. And I think you guys are just going to love it. So there's a ton in here. But I also want to let you know, because of the informality of this conversation and because Nicole is such a bud, there is a little bit of a language warning, nothing too crazy. But we always want to let you know if any of our listeners uh, listen to these podcasts in the car or with their kids, we just want to say this one, maybe you want to listen to before the little ears do. And it's just it's just because uh, we wanted to encourage her to bring her full self and be fully real in this um, because we talk about some hard subjects and and it's good to have that that case and honesty. But we always also just like to let you know what you're getting into with this one. So friends, buckle up and we hope you enjoy this interview with Nicole Foster. We are so excited to have with us today the Reverend Nicole Foster. Full disclosure, full disclosure, because you're going to hear this anyway, friends. Um, Nicole and I are buds. Like we, we are both working on doctorates at the same institution. We have been just investing in each other's lives the last few years. So like, I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited about having her on right now. So Nicole, thank you. Thank you for being here on Mutuality Matters today. Hey, thank you for having me. I feel honored. I'm serious. Like I'm excited about this. (laughs) Oh man, it's going to be so great. So listeners, as you know, we always try to start with uh, our watch, read, or listen segment. So Blake, 
what are you watching or reading or listening to? Yeah, so I've been listening to this album called Keeper of Days by an artist named John Guerra. And it's Christian artist, but like, who's also really good at his art. And that is a deeply, deeply refreshing fact. I highly commend the song Prettier Than Solomon, that both is like lyrically rich and at the same time has a beat that just like will get your shoulders moving. So Keeper of Days, John Guerra. Listeners, you don't see this, but Blake did like a little move there when he was talking about the beat you should well, just know that you should have well that you see i can't um, yeah i can't move my hips so whenever i dance it's all shoulders and eyebrows <laughs> but you know that that communicates what it needs to i imagine that communicates what it, what it needs love to. it and this is important because blake dean uh for listeners even by the time this comes out either this will just happen or is shortly about to happen but is getting married very soon so i don't know do you have any dancing at your wedding we don't we just have lots of coffee thank you we're so excited covid makes it a little um more challenging but we're making it happen so it'll feel like a feat when it's done (laughs) yeah absolutely but what about you aaron well cool all right well i have been working through so i've got one of those books on my nightstand that i can just kind of chip away at anytime i'm like up and not watching stuff and Right now, I have been working through this book called Anatomy of the Soul Oh yeah, um, by uh, Kurt Thompson. Yes, yeah, so many people had recommended this to me, and I, I've been kind of skipping around. Like, I started with a chapter on memory, and I kind of, kind of went back and forth. But I just love, I love, like, the intersection of, like, psychology and theology and, like, learning more about how our brains yeah. work and learning more about how we understand what's happening inside of us. Like, I think... Um, there's a tendency, I know when I was growing up, there's a tendency to like over-spiritualize things or silo things off or say, oh, that's that's secular, whatever. And then we just, we only think about it, but we lose so much when we do that. So I really appreciate Kurt Thompson, like bring in the neuropsychology, which, and, and putting it in layman's terms, because let's face it, I don't, I don't know any of that, but um, I, I highly, re- I'm not all the way through it yet, but I'm almost done with it. So I highly recommend it to listeners. Um, all right. So what about you, Nicole? What are you watching, reading, or listening to? So I'm reading two things. So I was, before I got on here, this sounds, I'm such a nerd, you know, forgive me out there, but I was reading a commentary on Genesis. Yes. Surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I got to teach about Isaac and Abraham's third wife, Keturah. So I was making sure that I had the language, language right and the setting right. So that's what I'm reading through. And then I'm also simultaneously reading through a book called 1493. It's a historical book and kind of anthropology book about uh, what the Americas was like the year after Christopher Columbus huh. got to the Bahamas. And so how everything changed. And it's a really good book. So those are the two things I'm reading. Say the title again of that second book. 1493. 1493. Okay, just the just the year. Just that's for clarification, awesome. Aaron, that's, that's the cool. year after Columbus. Yeah, after yeah, so. Columbus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Otherwise titled When the Genocide Began. Oh, like just, come on. You know. There you go. Sorry. I know. <laughs> preach, ah, I went preach. there. It's fine. It's my podcast. I'm going for it. Um, <laughs> that's right. But, there are uh, no rules. It's, uh, 
they're really right. um well awesome i love that nicole because um in the intro we recorded all of our listeners got to hear your awesome bio so they know you love the old testament they know you're super smart they know you are highly educated and like all the things um which we'll give you some time to to talk about that here on the podcast for sure because we want to promote all the stuff that you are doing and are a part of and how our listeners can follow you and find you online some other things you you may not know about nicole is that she also makes soap I didn't know this like, about Nicole. From scratch. This is like, like the hippie theologian is your online forum. And I don't think people get that the hippie part and the theologian part are both super real for like what, what you are repping. I'd be like, it, I'm just saying we're in COVID. We're trying to put the commune back in community and girl makes soap. I'm just, I'm, I'm excited for that. How, how, lo- how long have you been doing like making those like homeopathic products? Oh gosh, I think since 2010, I think. So 10 years, oh my goodness. So yeah, I try to make soap, laundry detergent, lotion. You know, I I don't know. I, I am a hippie, so for sure. <laughs> I love it. Well, Nicole, like I said, we, we did your formal bio in the intro for our listeners, but I would love it if you could also just like tell us, tell them a little bit about yourself. What, what do they need to know about you? I might cuss a little, but... <laughs> But it's all right. But it's all right. <laughs> but I love the Lord. She's got the collar um, on. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's, right. it's all. It's blessed. It's all blessed. Gosh, I don't know what else. I um, am a car, kind of a, a car fanatic, which is odd. I like turtles, which is also odd. If I see one in the street, I'll pick it up. Oh. <laughs> and that's about it. it. Uh, I've taught high school for about 10, 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, and so that, that has been my, that made me grow up real quick. Mm. I'd say more so than being clergy that, yeah. that grew me up real quick. So that's me. That's what I do. Well, I, we again, love having you on today, Nicole, we're just going to go a lot of different places because one thing we're trying to do here in this season two of the podcast is bring new perspective to some of the same old familiar things that our listeners get when it comes to gender theology is just the questions related to women in the church, women in society, women in the home and, and both, and, and how that affects men, because we, we really truly believe that patriarchy and things that we're doing uh, poorly are affecting adversely affecting both men and women and their relationships, not just romantically, but just in the course of just being the church and being the best they can be. So, um, so there's so many nuances to this conversation, but one of the things that we would like to explore a little bit more deeply is the fact that the church has used the term community as a buzzword for like the last, last decade or so. I, I remember when things started shifting from like, like Sunday school and those things to now we're in core group and buzz group and family group and koinonia group. And like, all you know, it's like, we, we started Dang. like shift. Oh gosh. The white <laughs> church. It's like, we got the names, wow. but you know, and it felt so like, yes, we're in a community and isn't this great. Um, but we also had just had no idea what we were doing. And, um, we really feel strongly, especially when we're thinking about relationships, because this is such a huge thing, I think, for men and women as they're looking at their identity in Christ. We put so much baggage on people 
when it comes to how we talk about marriage and singleness. And part of that is that we're also not talking about singleness well because we're not talking about community well because we're not talking about friendships well because we're not talking about how to actually live in a way that is flourishing regardless of whether you are someone who is married or someone who is not married. And so one thing that, um, that I want to just sort of kick this off. So you are no stranger to asking hard questions of the church and your online forum not only does that like really well, but in a very diverse community of people. Um, and so I, I thought you would be um, so valuable to our listeners to talk about this um, because in your opinion, I just, I just want to know what do you think that the church is getting wrong when we preach about marriage and singleness? Like what are some of the things that are just, what are we not, what, what are we sort of tanking on from your opinion? Well, I will say this to start off with. I think the marriage conversation is totally different depending on which type of church you're in and which demographic is in that church. And I've been in a million, <laughs> a million. So growing up, you know, more of the non-denom right. evangelical world, that was really harped on. So much so that eventually in my, you know, young to mid-20s, I didn't want to go to church anymore because there was such a focus on marriage and couples. And, you know, if you're a young adult, then, you know, you're not here to, yes, you're here to, you know, grow and know the Lord, but we really, this is really a matchmaking place. There's just no room to really, you know, take that deep breath in the Lord that everybody needs to take because there was just too much, too much trash in there. You know, me being African-American, that's not really what's pushed or talked about um, in a whole, um, there's a different mm -hmm. aspect of community. You know, people can argue with me, you know, wh whatever they want to do. But my experience as an African-American is that marriage is not held up in the same pedestal as it is with the white community. I mean, it's, it's a totally, totally different, almost different subject matters in a sense of how they're looked at, how they're talked about. And then when I became an Episcopalian or Anglican or whatever, it was talked about, but not the same, into the same depth that it was talked about in the uh, evangelical world. So yeah, there's different strokes for different folks. I mean, just, and then I, you know, I used to be a Coptic Orthodox and that was not really an issue. It was more of, if you're gonna come in this church, you need to respect God. Nicole, you better put this, this veil <laughs> over your head, <laughs> which, which I gladly wow. do. <laughs> um, you know, make sure you can see through the smoke <laughs> of the incense. So, you know, that church, <laughs> so that church, I mean, holiness was like, you know, Jesus was not friend or matchmaker. Mm. Jesus was king. And you, you would come in here and honor him like that. In the black church, God's not necessarily matchmaker or concerned about, you know, again, Jesus is, is king. God is ruler of, of the cosmos. Anything with marriage and stuff like that, it's not even secondary. It was just, it's not on, it's not on the dinner plate. You know, it's, it's, of course, there's classes, you know, in these churches, you know, for married couples or um premarital counseling or whatever, but it's just not on the dinner plate of Sunday morning or the pulpit or, um, you know, an average Bible study. Gosh, I have so many follow-up questions. Um, one thing you mentioned that was particularly interesting to me is the way 
the way that uh, each church thought about or taught or you know signified what they were thinking about marriage seemed to be connected to how we understand Christ or the Trinity interacting with us as the church. So it's like there's, there's this, this tie between how we talk about and delineate relationships, like God being king versus God being matchmaker. And that has never really occurred to me that the way we understand Christ in the church might have something to do with the way it's informing our relationships, uh, our discussions about relationships. But I'm also interested because you're, you're going back to the Coptic church. Cause I, I remember, cause I, it's so interesting to me. I love like the Coptic church and on so many levels, but it is a very interesting, very ancient um, Christian tradition that m- most people don't know much about, especially because it's, it's, it's settled right there in Africa. I'm interested because you're wearing the veil. There's a lot of emphasis on holiness. So while people might not be de- like, people might not be using marriage versus singleness uh, rhetoric to force you to kind of think about how you are as a woman in that setting, it sounds like there was still at least some emphasis on you as a female in that setting. It wasn't necessarily related to your marriage status, but, but tell me more about mm-hmm. that. Am, am I, am I on the right track there or correct me if I'm wrong? No, you're absolutely right. So um, when you go worship at a uh, Coptic Orthodox church, doesn't matter if you're married or single, women sit on one side oh. and men sit on the other side. Like if you come in as a couple, it doesn't matter once you enter, this, enter the sanctuary. Your husband goes over to the left side, the wife goes on the right side with married single women, you know, husband with married men or single men, all that's stripped away. The only people that you saw going across mm. was, you know, toddlers that mm. wanted one parent or the other. It was totally separate, totally separate. Wow. That is, that is so interesting. And I feel like um, there's a lot of overlap sometimes in how, I just have so many conversations with men and women coming in churches where they feel like there's something about their masculinity or their femininity that is being diminished or overlooked uh, in some way by the way the church is treating them. But in most evangelical churches, it's through that lens of married or single, right? That's how that's happening. That's that's what that, right. that is doing. And so it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that somehow in our pursuit of Christ, somehow in pursuit of worship together as the body, there are so many things one way or another that are entangling us in that process and they all kind of get muddy with our gender and how we, and how we interact with each other and how we exist together. Um, whether that's like focusing on like marriage as like this over prominent thing that we're elevating while singleness is sort of this thing that we're trying to help people get out of versus, um, just not talking about it at all, but men are over here, women are over here and nary, nary the twain shall meet. Right. So, um, so that, and this is why this is so interesting to me and why Blake and I love doing this podcast is these are the conversations that are affecting our worship, right? These are the things that are, you know, de- oh, defining absolutely. how we do church and, and sometimes without even really thinking about it, we just step into those spaces and it just happens. And we're not even, it's hard sometimes to even put words to it. Like I remember growing up, not, I wouldn't have said like that I'm experiencing gender discrimination, but that's what it was. I just didn't know it. Like I just didn't know for a long time that that's what was happening. So, um, so sometimes it's even just like unpacking that and thinking about that. So, um, well, Nicole, um, can you tell us a little bit too, because you mentioned as an African-American woman, um, versus white culture, and this is something that we, we feel pretty strongly about that there's, 
because of the segregation and the way we've marginalized people in the church in America, we, there are cultural lessons that we're not learning. There are, there are things that make us the church that if we were worshiping together, if we were listening to each other, that we would know. And I think one of those places where white culture is extremely anemic is in the topic of community and, and relationship because we are so independent, we're so stark, we're so solitary, and we're so proud of that. Um, but our, our friends of color, you know, from, from so many other cultures, that's just not the norm. So um, can you tell us a little bit more about that difference that you see just from your own perspective? I guess I'll start with marriage. Um, you know, <laughs> how should I say this tactfully? That, that is always my question. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's never mine. So... I think what many people try not to think about, but they must to even get to grab understanding is that when you're talking about the African American community, you're talking about an oppressed community. You're talking about a community that has been in bondage more than that, longer than they have been free. You're talking about people who up until 1925 still posting signs on doorposts and, and you know, shops of have you seen have you seen my, you know, loved one? We were separated. She was sold off, you know, right before the war. Have you seen her? I'm still looking for her. So you're also talking about a community whose families have been busted up over and over and over again. Because of that, you're also talking about a community who has mm -hmm. massive family reunions because of that. So, you know, my fifth cousin, you know, who I met a few years ago is my cousin, is my first cousin. In, in, in that in that regard, because once you're connected with blood or you know or marriage or whatever, that's your family. So um, there's no cutting off of well, they're my fifth cousin and they're not. No, they're, they're your family, and thank God that you guys have connected um, because of the history of what happened. So you're talking about you're talking about that, and you're talking about um, families who you know, for example, my family. Um, you know, a lot of them left Mississippi to go to Chicago. So, you know, when I call relatives, I have to sh call Chicago and Mississippi. They left through the great migrations of the, you know, 1940s. So how does that affect marriage? Well, because you're a oppressed community, let, let's start with the history. Um, slavery, your marriage is jumping a broomstick at night. You know, you had to have these ceremonies at night uh, when you were not in the field or in the house working. Today, you know, you have how should I say this? It takes it takes a certain privilege to even have a concept to be focused on marriage the way the evangelical church is focused. Because, you know, for Black communities, you have to take it now. And I just read the statistics and I, and I forgot the number. There's an article written about Black marriages versus white marriages. And um, one of the things that is, one of the major things that's taken into account is the incarceration of black men. It's like when you go in a black community, you know somebody, it's almost to say, you know, if you're African American in this country, somebody, you know somebody in your family that's locked up. You have to take that into account. And with the incarceration thing, you have to take into account the economics of the community. So if a community, let's say from 19, 1940 to, uh, you know, I would like to say 19, 1990s, maybe mid 90s, largely the black community had moved into urban areas. When those jobs started leaving 
particularly industrial jobs, started leaving urban communities and going out to cheaper, where they can have uh, cheaper overhead, who's the first in line in the unemployment line? Blacks. And it's still like that. And so that makes marriage a lot tougher because, um, <laughs> again, it takes, it takes a, a certain economic privilege. It takes um, a stability. So some of it is, you know, either this, you know, it's much more than this wedding is too expensive. It's, you know, are you going to keep this job? Can we feed these kids? The jobs are leaving. Um, now gentrification is coming in. You know, where, there's so many aspects of just the Black community that makes the ch Black church not focus as heavily on marriage as the evangelical church. I mean, there's <laughs> much more to be concerned about. While marriage is is honored, it's to be, uh, what does the scripture say? It's to be honored by everyone, right? Marriage is absolutely honored. But to be the, the mm -hmm. heading of your spirituality is just not, it's not on the table. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Number one, I, it's so such a sign of my privilege for that to be a new thought as well. So for me to collect even thoughts about that is such a, is such an awareness that my experience was so different, but to be in uh, churches or like spaces, religious spaces where it's not only the heading, it's the expectation for you to get married. Right. And this is the, the first question is, and it's not, um, malicious, even though it may be damaging or less helpful. Um, it's not malicious, but every time you, you see someone from your church, and especially once you go off to college, it's like, well, did you get a girlfriend? Did you get a, where you get married? You know, it's like the whole thing is like, right. And while that's a very kind and lovely thing to say, and I have an amazing fiance, and I'm, I'm fitting all of those expectations kind of most shockingly, shockingly to myself, to be honest. But <laughs> I, I think I don't know. I don't have a question. I just want to double down on the, at least for all of our white listeners like me, that this is the first time you're thinking about this. I think I'm going to be thinking about that for a long time and how, what is the privilege of the expectations that we're putting on um, discipleship? I think that's really compelling. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, no. And, and, and let me, let me be clear. Like black families ask that too at Christmas and Thanksgiving. Where's sure. your man? Sure, sure, where's, sure. Where's your, where's, when are you going to have kids? That's usually the first question. When are you going to have kids? And then it's like, when are you going to get married? <laughs> I love it. I when, yeah, when are you going to have kids? Then when are you going to get married, right? It's like, <laughs> it's like let's not talk about what's really important here. Like, yeah. let's, let's start there, yeah. Right. Um, oh, gosh. Yeah, so, the, you know, we're not that much different in that aspect. We, you know, we still get asked yeah. that. It's, you know, it's still funny looks if you, if, you know, you're not popping out you know, kids or have, you know, at least one marriage under your belt. So, <laughs> so yes, oh. it, it, that is, you know, and, and I want to say, you know, that is kind of a, there's a reshifting. There's a reshifting of particularly now that BLM, you know, well, I would say before, but I think BLM has um, really kind of emphasized the importance of Black family mm -hmm. and Black households and sticking together as a unit uh, even more so now. Not just because we are oppressed and segregated, it's now kind of, we've got to stabilize things because we, we again, cannot trust American society. So there is, there is a, you know, there is a push for black families to be strong and black couples to get married. So there, there is a, but it's, a, it's more of a, a fortifying instead of this is what you should be doing kind of thing, if that makes sense. 
So, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just different. It's not to say that we don't, we don't put important, you know, we don't think marriage is important. It absolutely is important. But as far as the church of spirituality goes, there's more on the table than that. There's, there's deep concerns. And you also have to remember the history of the black church is that, that the black church is, is the community center. Yeah. It's the, it's the club. It's, you know, the, uh, old folks home, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's, you know, it is the black, it's been the staple of the black community. So you had, you couldn't just focus on one thing you had to, you know, it had to be something of public theology. Mm. We're going to pray and then we're going to march. Yeah. We're going to have communion and then after this meet because we're going to boycott or things like that. It's, it's, it's kind of a one meeting type of scenario. No, you raise such great points, Nicole, and I, I really appreciate this because this is, this is something I think is, is so important for us who are trying to understand how in what ways we need to decolonize a lot of our spiritual literature about these topics, um, not not just for sake of what's happening between the genders, but also for race. And, um, you know, it was funny, you were talking about how in like white evangelical churches, like, we're just trying to like pair people up like, like this is this was so my experience in the church. Like I remember growing up, and they had singles one, singles two and singles three so singles one was like just out of college like just into their careers you know hanging out um singles two was like maybe like in you know their late 20s and by singles three and people would joke about this they would say well by the time they get to singles three they should just like be matching people up they should be like you and you you're getting like, you know, because by singles three, now they're getting in their forties. They're a lot older. Like now we know there's something really wrong with you. So you're still in singles three. And we're just hoping that you might find love with another one of these crazies. And like, that was, that was li- like, that was literally like, we, like it was just, it was just this impl- like oftentimes um, explicit, but also very implicit idea that like the reason we have these programs is to get people married as quickly as possible because singleness is something to be avoided at all costs, whether that was a theology of rampant procreation to sustain the church in the sense that like children are the way we're going to grow the church. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Like, should we be discipling our children? Yes. Should we be saying everyone needs to get married to do this? No, because you know, Jesus, but, it, but also like this idea of, of saying that singleness is something that we feel sorry for people about. Um, and I think for a lot of folks that I knew growing up, they were afraid of singleness. They were afraid of not having family. They were afraid of, of the loneliness. They were afraid of being disengaged, underutilized. And if we're going to be serious about saying that people are not valued differently by their marital status, then we also need to have an honest conversation about how we view people in the church, regardless of their marital status. So for people who are single, are we actually treating them with the dignity and, um, and respect and inclusion that covers all the different structures that they are living in, which is, which is having family, having people, having someone to take care of them when they're sick and like bring something to them to have them uh, see themselves as meaningful and engaged in the church and in their communities. Um, and this is something I think we still, as white evangelicals, have got so much to catch up on. 
because part of it is we don't understand community. We don't see our churches as centers of community. Um, and, and this is, I think, where, where we find a completely different conversation happening in other churches because there's so many other variables that are changing that. But I think it would be great for the white evangelical church to have this conversation and say, if we really do value singles, um, then we, first of all, shouldn't just be calling them singles and sticking them in single Sunday school rooms, but really incorporating so much more into this um, experience of church. And so I love just sort of the picture you were painting because I'm like, ah, this is, we, we lose a lot and we don't think about this, like our church experiences can be so very different. Um, and the books that are out there, white people are having a very different conversation about marriage. <laughs> and we're not addressing, it doesn't, um, like I'm thinking about this for my, for my students of color that I want to help them in this transition of life where they're asking a lot of these questions too, but I need to be careful about the resources that I'm leading them towards because those resources might be from this, from this very white perspective that may not speak to their story. Mm -hmm. So, so that's just, I just appreciate you pointing that. And then something I just kind of wanted to reiterate to our listeners, because I know for me and like Blake was just saying, this is a learning process. Like we are, we are still like putting ourselves in a place where we're going, okay, let's think about this. Let's, let's let God dismantle some of this stuff within us. Um, but I would love for our listeners to also be feeling that same impact and saying, oh, wow, I never really thought about that before and how that, uh, how that affects our conversations. Because you go to these big conferences and it's like we're having these very like niche conversations about marriage and singleness. Yeah, and, that's and a good way to put it, niche. Yeah, that, yeah. That, you, you worded it perfectly. Yeah. So it's, it's just interesting because I think that not just not just African-American friends, but Latino friends. I think it's just it's a very different some of those questions just aren't being asked in those spaces. And sometimes they look at us and say, well, why would you be lonely? You, we are literally drowning in family over yeah. here and people <laughs> and like, they're so up in our business. We'd rather maybe to have a little bit of space to ourselves. Um, but I think that's a major concern for some people who are like looking at a life of singleness. It's like, where's my community going to be? Where are my people going to be? Um, and I think that's a question we have to ask really honestly of all of the cultures that we are experiencing and learn from each other, because I think there's a way to do this well as the church, but uh, white culture doesn't give us much to go off of in that conversation. So gotcha. um, I wonder if, um, if we yeah. could pivot the conversation just a little bit to being uh, to talk about you as a female in church leadership who is not married and i wonder if you could talk a little bit about we we mentioned kind of you've you've been in a lot of different churches you said a million and i assume that's only an a completely accurate figure <laughs> <laughs> and so i wonder if you could talk a little bit about your experience in those spaces as um a single black woman was there i don't know i don't want to project anything onto that but i wonder if you could talk about being in a position of leadership and um, how does the church view, maybe in your own experience, married versus single female leaders differently? Sure. I did have one bishop uh, that was very nervous that I was not married. He's like, girl, we got to get you married. <laughs> and he was like, oh, <laughs> he was even like, where do you go on Thursday night? So I was like, where do I go? He's like, do you go to any club? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm at the seminary. Like, what do you mean, <laughs> man? Like, <laughs> I'm studying. 
Indian. Like, bro. And so like, and you know, that's here in the South. So of course, um, but what really made what I had come to finally put together, what made people nervous was it wasn't that I was just single. It's what, it was that I was just, I'm a single woman that dates a ton. That was more scary for them. Like, it's almost like they either rather have been, been married or just off in my apartment or my house crying <laughs> because <laughs> I was a single. I was like, listen, I'm living the life. Like, you know, I'm good. And that made them nervous. Cause like, oh, I get, you know, I'm, I'm assuming like, oh, is she going to end up pregnant? And, mm. you know, we walk around. I, I don't know what their, their pinpointed fears were, but that, that really made people nervous. Um, and it makes, I am going to say this, it made a lot of male clergy mm. that were married very nervous to work around me. I don't know what that fear was. Um, you know, maybe because I'm, I'm single and therefore I'm going to jump on every man that I, I work with. I don't, I don't know, but <laughs> um, that is not, that is no longer my context. Mm. Um, you know, I, I no longer experience that, particularly for what I do now. Um, that is not, that's not on the table. Um, but I couldn't figure it out, you know, in my seminary years. Um, like, why are they acting this way? Or why is the bishop saying this to me? Or, you know, why is this the first question that comes out of people's mouth when they, you know, want to find out about me? You know, why don't you ask me about my education? Why don't you ask me about um, my hobbies? Or turtles. Or, or turtles. <laughs> Come on. Or, or my job and career. You know, why not, why not, you know, check on me about that? Why are you checking on me about, you know, who are you dating this month? And that really started making people nervous when I was like, you know, well, he was my boyfriend last month. I have a new boyfriend this month. And I, <laughs> I started saying that to you. They ain't like that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, um, again, I had to translate like three times in my head what all that was about because I'm African-American. That's just not, you know, um, now we do ask, you know, hey, how many kids you have? And it's like, well, <laughs> I don't have any kids. Cause, uh, you know, it, it, that, that's kind of the concern, like procreating. How many, like, are, are you extending the line? Are you, you know, that's more of um, a question, which is interesting. Um, mm. But yeah, I had to translate like three times why, you know, particularly in Southern Episcopal Anglican churches, why that was such a thing and why did my presence wanting to go into leadership was unsettling mm. you know I don't I don't know I still kind of don't know like what that fear is now I don't now I don't care. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do what I want you know but and then so you know you know this is just for listeners who may be encountering this way more than I would than I have experienced or will experience as an African-American woman you know, there's, you know, tell people that it is none of their business. I mean, that is okay to say. It's none of your business about my love life. It's none of your business whether I'm single or married. That's not why I'm here at this church. That's not why I came to know the Lord and serve him. That is not, you know, it is okay to say that to people because I don't think these evangelical churches, and I shouldn't just always, you know, other churches do it too. 
there's black churches, you know, predominantly black churches that do this too, but I don't think they know the damage that they do to people who aren't married, no matter what age they are. Just the, the othering of somebody that's not, you know, married is, is pressure. And I think, you know, in, in talking to a lot of women who've been married a long time uh, in the church, you know, there's a pressure when they hear that too. It's interesting to hear the other side. When you, when, when married couples sometimes hear that too, there's a pressure to stay in, in horrible situations because this marriage is put on such a pedestal. You know, you got women and men staying in abusive relationships or not getting the counseling or help they, that they need because damn it, you better stay married and you better smile and hold hands when you come in this church building. And you know, their home lives are a wreck because they feel like they can't reach out for help or say, you know, you know, I've had married women say to me, you know, look, girl, I will never do this again. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is my own marriage. After this, I'll never do this again. You know what I mean? Like, so I think, yeah, we pressure singles, but I think in the voicing all that, you also are pressuring married couples to uphold something that's almost unattainable for them. So yeah, I think, I think it doesn't just affect singles. I think it affects uh, married couples too, in a sense that, you know, we've got to uphold this fake you know, aura about us, you know, so everybody thinks everything's okay, even though we cuss each other out all the way to this parking lot at this church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, yo, you are, you're right on. And what I love is like, you are just hitting all the latent toxicities that are, that are mixed in, in this, in this problem that I, that we're having in the church with the way we talk about singleness and marriage and, and, and how these things are being affected. I will say as, as a, as a married woman in uh, leadership positions, I am, I'm only slightly less scary than, than if I were single, but I'm still scared. Like, like even like, I'm. it's like, I'm married. And they're still like, yeah, but you could like still wreck us with your temptressness ways and like what you know like whatever yeah. it is because so you, because so there's you, something you did you did experience that fear when you were single uh as far as leadership yeah and, and, but and, and is married yeah 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 and that's and that's that's what what kills me it's almost like it's almost like I think if there are any women out there who are thinking if I'm going to do leadership in the church, I, it would be better for me to be married than to be single based on people's perceptions. And I am here to say that the way that we have not dealt with, honestly, the conversations in the church about the inferiority of women and the way that we've turned women into uh, these temptresses and the like, like we have made women scary and inferior and, um, and, and a problem. And that has been our excuse for excluding women from all of these places for so long. Um, and, and now that we're moving into these spaces, even with progressive minded men, um, there is this, it's in the water. It's like, it's, it's so deeply embedded because just like the history of race in this country that we have not addressed, honestly, any conversation that you fail as a community to address, honestly, that stuff just stays and festers no matter how progressive we become. And so we still enter these spaces with maybe even denominations that would say, yeah, let's ordain you or yeah, let's, let's put you in leadership. But we also still have to experience that we've come like our skin is a threat to the yeah. people around us. And, and unfortunately singleness and marriage doesn't seem to make that much of a difference. If the vast majority of the people we are working in or around are male. Right. 
Preach. So, yeah. So I appreciate you touching on that because I feel like, I feel like there's so many of our listeners who are amending right now because I just, I, at least from the conversations I've had with people, this is just their experience. Right. They're trying to love the Lord. They're trying to serve. They bring their credentials, their education, but their skin still becomes an issue. Right. And, you know, and that, and that I think works both ways, both for, for gender and for race. Right. And I, I'm, 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 I knew, I know, you know, so. I mean, we can always use duct tape to bind ourselves and wear turtlenecks. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 and it's like, if that would work, I'd be all for it. But I will, I will say this. Cause I, I don't know if I've, I've said this on the podcast before, but like the last time that I literally had someone look me up and down like a piece of meat and make and vocalize to that effect. I was literally wearing the clergy collar. Oh girl. Absolutely. I was, I was guest preaching at a local church. I was wearing a suit. I would, I had like a jacket and like dress pants, like to be very professional. And like, I was, I'm literally wearing Jesus (laughs) and you are treating me like a sex object. Like if I could do anything, if I could wear burlap, it wouldn't Mm. matter though. It would, that's the thing. Like there's, there's, this is not something that we are responsible for changing, um, except to try to draw these conversations out in the church. Um, but I also think all these things are tied together, right? So how we're talking about singleness, how we're talking about marriage, how we're understanding our theology, how we're understanding Christ in our churches, these are all intertwined in a much more profound way. And I think you showed that today for us. These are all intertwined in a much more profound way. And so we cannot not have these discussions because they are all, they all are strung together and affect each other. And if we are truly looking to be image bearers of Christ and to welcome that and welcome people into our churches to be image bearers of Christ with all that they are, um, these are the kind of conversation we just can't just like let this stuff go and say, well, it's fine. We're, we're progressing. We're moving the needle on diversity or, or, or whatever. It's, it has to happen on, on this level. Right. And I do want to be clear, too, that it's not just men doing this to us. And this has been my experience. It is other women as well. That's right. That's right. For me, it was <laughs> the women who were married to these men that I was working with that were just threatened. And I had to go for some, however the, I had to go because I was just I was too much of I don't know what they're worried about. So like all I'm doing is sitting at this desk and trying to figure out this Hebrew word so I can teach this Sunday school lesson. <laughs> I don't even know where your husband is, girl. He's <laughs> in my office. <laughs> yes. You know what yes. I mean? Like, you know, why would you think I would want to go after your like what's so special about him? Why why would I, you know? That's what's out. really insulting. Is like every man who ends up in our space seems to think that we just, we want them, we must have. And I'm like, it's, you know, temptation can be a real thing around people, but that is not the case here. I'm sorry, sir. That right. That is just, it's not, Yeah. I'm not going to have that problem. Not it's, here. Just make sure my check is in my direct pocket. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, and then when you're ready to have a conversation about it. sermon topics, we can talk about that. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's and that's it. I think for so many of us females in in the church spaces, it's like we are we are here because of Jesus. We are here because we have a job to do. We have a calling. We have something to live out. And again, these landmines are just all over the field. And it's like I was I thought I was called here to serve the Lord. And I, I, I think it's important, again, that we just address this and put this out there so people don't feel like they're alone in these experiences who are listening to this podcast and realize this is a real thing. This is something a lot of us experience. This is, is something we have to deal with because you can't, apparently as a female, and, and I will say I have been in spaces where my colleagues have paved the way for me to just do that. And I appreciate those choices. Yeah. I'm in one right now where I'm extremely blessed by the men who are surrounding me, but nine times out of 10, it's a mess. Yeah. It's a mess and we have to deal with it. So just, just putting that out there, if that is you, if that is what you're experiencing listener, you are not alone. And right. we, got, we got so much more to say on that. Right. Just tell them to email you or me. That's right. <laughs> That's right, honey. Well, hey, speaking of speaking of, of of you and people finding you, let's talk real quick about about hippie theologian because because okay. you are creating you are creating these online spaces for in depth discussions. And you were now now this is what I love. You were doing this before COVID happened, but then suddenly COVID happened, and and the rest of us are trying to figure out how to get online and and actually do do meaningful experiences together, but you were already doing it. And so now it's, it's, it's a day for, for you and the hippie theologian forum to, to be, to invite people in and say, yes, we're here. We've already got this organized. Um, just in addition to our discussion about how to do community well and how to even do church together where you've got all kinds of people, not just married or single men, women, people from various walks of life and perspectives religiously because i know that, that you've got you've got agnostics and atheists that are also on this forum which is just mind-blowing and amazing um can you tell us just a little bit about how you got that started and what you're doing with it now well it got started because of exactly what we're talking about now um lost my pulpit uh because the threat of my femininity so i was like well, the hell with this, I'm going to do this online. I'm still going to, um, still going to preach the word. And, um, but I wanted to do it in a different way. I set this up a couple of years back and it was strictly me teaching the old Testament, but as it kept unfolding, I wanted to broaden, um, the audience per se, because number one, I knew if I was <laughs> clergy and I didn't like going to church, why would the atheist ever walk into a church to listen to anything anybody has to say from pulpit? But people live on their phone. I mean, almost literally. Yeah. And so if people are going to, you know, come in contact with the risen Lord in 2020 or 2019 or whatever, it's probably going to be through their phone. How, how can I use this to be a, a fisher of men, as scripture says. So I'm um, broadening it to be more public theology so we can talk about anything and everything. I do, you know, interviews with people. We do uh, clergy kind of uh, live things, you know, to really be very transparent and honest. For the viewers, also, hippie theologian is also part of my doctoral thesis. And so hippie theology is not me preaching. Hippie Theologian is a discussion forum on, on social media where we discuss all sorts of things. Uh, you know, the, the goal is the dialogue. 
we need to dialogue about these things about you know you know what is god doing through blm you know or this has happened to me i was i was raped in, in the church and how do i you know you know coincide that with believing in the the, the will of god and the destiny of god so we tackle all these hard subjects. I just wanted to create a safe space for people to discuss things that that probably would not be brought up on Sunday morning, probably would not be brought up in the pulpit. Um, and if you don't want that to be too out there for you, there's groups on the Hippie Theologian that you can join that's a little more private. So there's that. I also have a blog to it where I write, you know, about certain topics or usually Old Testament topics. I'm hey, sorry. That yeah, is girl. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I originally was going to get a doctorate in Old Testament, and I ended up doing a demon. It was just to meet me. <laughs> it's just to meet me. We said all about you, Erin, so quickly. <laughs> but you should listen to Nicole preach on the Old Testament, because you, you're going to get your socks blown off. It's just, it is... It is so, it is so good. So, okay. So you got, you, you got the online form, you got the blog. How else can our listeners just, just follow you and, and, and find you? Um, you follow me on Facebook, you know, Nicole Foster or the Hippie Theologian. You can follow me on Instagram. It's at the Hippie Theologian. Um, you can follow the blog, you know, hippietheologian.com. Um, we got a YouTube channel too. You can type that in and um, jump on YouTube. I'm not as cool as, as y'all. I don't have a podcast yet. Yet. I'll try to get there and be as cool there as y'all. Go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Nicole, I, I, th- I think we are at time, but I just want to say again, we have loved having you. Thank you for bringing just your, your candor and your perspective. And we, we want to just have multiple conversations from multiple different angles uh, about these topics. And I think all of them are so incredibly enriching. So thank you for bringing what you brought today. And we are so glad to have you on the podcast. Hey, thank y'all so much. Y'all, you two are a blessing. I'm so glad to that y'all asked me. Thanks so much. Man, I really do love her. Like, I I know why she's your pal. She's so... I, she had me on the floor in a couple moments just in <laughs> stitches. But also, like, at the same time, so oh, gosh. thoughtful. Yes. I think one of my, my favorite moments was maybe when she was discussing the way that um, maybe black churches versus more white evangelical spaces talk about marriage and singleness. Um, I thought that was mm-hmm. compelling in particular ways. Um, what was your favorite part? Oh, I, I don't even know if I can pick a favorite part. Like Dean, I love Nicole so much and she is, she is so smart and and so insightful. And and at the end of the day, she has worked, as we noted, uh, worked in just a mm-hmm. realm of different places. Um, so she's worked in church settings. She's, I mean, the girl has um, preached at the National Cathedral. Like she has had so many places, but the, the place you'll probably find her most often is um, working with at-risk teens at her high school or with her sweet um uh, niece and family members that she that she is close to. And um, so her whole life to me is just this ministry. Um, so I hope that our listeners today got something and something we voiced during the podcast that I want to reiterate is if some of these stories are your stories, mm. you are not oh. alone. Um, if some of the things that happened to Nicole or even some of the stuff that I relayed has happened to you in church settings, guys, 
hopefully this is cathartic for you. This was cathartic for me um, to talk with Nicole about these things. And in, in sort of exploring the aspects of gender theology, sometimes it just gets very real. And sometimes our stories and our even our most painful stories um, become the context for that conversation. So we, we appreciate you hanging in there with us. Yeah. And you should definitely subscribe to The Hippie Theologian on Facebook, YouTube, um, or the blog itself. And follow Nicole's mm-hmm. writings by following her on social media. Yeah, we'll put all of that in the show notes. And we just want to say thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, um, we would love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, you can leave us a rating or review on uh, whatever podcast platform you use. Um, Apple Podcasts and iTunes ratings help other people find the podcast. So we always appreciate you giving us a rating or review on those. And uh, we just love connecting with you and we love your feedback. So feel free to holler at us on any of these platforms. Um, So many places to comment. But if you really loved the podcast, you should join our Patreon account. (laughs) I'm telling you, we're hilarious. Not only do you get early released episodes of the podcast, you get them a week before everyone else does. You'll also get to hear us ramble on about varying things such as whiteness and or theology and art. So go check that out. But I'm Blake Dean with my co-host, the Reverend Darren Monez and our fabulous producer, Bailey Dingley, who makes all the magic happen. We're the Mutuality Matters podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm